these laws uh, making e-cigarettes harder for kids to access increases their cigarette use. So that's the opposite direction of what the gateway relationship would predict. Hi, I'm Brett Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. U.S. President Joe Biden is inching closer to the passage of his signature social spending plan, the Build Back Better Act, which pumps nearly $2 trillion into the expansion of the social safety net and turbocharges climate change policy. But to pay for the plan, the Biden administration aims to build back better on the backs of former smokers with a new excise tax on safer nicotine products, a tax which public health experts say could drive millions of people back to smoking. Joining us today on RegWatch to discuss the potential impact of the new tax is Dr. Michael Pesco, Associate Professor of Economics at Georgia State University and one of the country's leading economists when it comes to analyzing the effect of e-cigarette taxes. Dr. Pesco, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Before we dive into your background and research on e-cigarettes, tell our viewers top line what you think of the proposed new tax on nicotine vaping products. Could this be a public health disaster in the making? Yes, it could be a public health disaster. Um, our uh, a research, which is NIH, um, a National Institutes of Health uh, funded uh, a research, we find that uh, it would cause a large uh, substitution to combustible tobacco products um, across a variety of different populations, both teenagers, adults, uh, pregnant women. Um, it is effective in terms of reducing vaping. Um, uh, so uh, there's both intended and unintended consequences of uh, the policy. But with the unintended consequences uh, likely um, uh, out, outweighing uh, any public health benefits that the taxes could have. So it sounds truly scary. The, you know, we do estimate sizable um, uh, effects of, of substitution, um, including for teenagers, for example, oftentimes these taxes are talked about as a way to protect uh, kids. Um, uh, we find that uh, the about uh, two in every three kids that stops vaping uh, due to any cigarette tax, they smoke cigarettes instead. So we're talking in the United States, approximately half a million um, uh, uh, likely uh, smokers that would not otherwise be smoking in the absence of the e-cigarette tax. Now, teens, that's incredible. Yeah, um, you know, there's this, uh, the substitution uh, estimates are even higher if you look at um, young adults, for example, 18 to 25. We estimate some of the highest rates of substitution within that. Uh, a population, uh, certainly for adults as well, uh, a lot of evidence of substitution. Uh, basically, consumers, they make decisions about, um, you know, which tobacco products to use. If we kind of just take some of the, um, uh, some of the passion out of the issue by not, let's not talk about e-cigarettes or cigarettes, let's just talk about generic tobacco products, numbers one through 10. Uh, what would we anticipate to happen if we took one of those random products and we drastically increased the price on it? I guess I would anticipate that uh, some individuals, they would fall out of the tobacco marketplace altogether. Other individuals, then they would move from using that higher priced product to one of the other nine available uh, tobacco products. Um, and so given substitution is likely, um, uh, it's important to try to cause that substitution among the most lethal of the products that are available in the marketplace, right? And so this would be combustible products, cigarettes and cigars. Um, so the idea to increase that price so dramatically for one of the, the some of the safer products, whether vaping products or smokeless tobacco products, 
and then causing that substitution to the more lethal products, uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense from a public health perspective, to say it kindly. <laughs> uh, you mentioned to remove the emotion out of it. Why is there so much emotion around this? Well, that's a good question. I think that there are a lot of uh, people that are rightfully concerned about nicotine use among uh, kids um, uh, and and do uh, uh, want to uh, have the good intention of wanting to protect uh, kids from becoming nicotine addicted. Um, so I think that's where um, a lot of this, uh, this passion uh, drives from. Um, I think, you know, one issue that I has always concerned me, I don't hear a lot of other people talking about it, is just how easy it is for teenagers to access tobacco um, from uh, from retail environments, for example, um, whether cigarettes, e-cigarettes, actually, it's it's kids don't get their e-cigarettes as regularly from retail environments as they do from as they do cigarettes. Um, but, never, uh, but, you know, as long as the the regulatory um, kind of the inspections of the retail environments, that kind of thing is just really not adequate to make it uh, so that it's not profitable for store owners to keep selling tobacco products to kids, right? I mean, occasionally, at least in the United States, they might occasionally get fined. They might occasionally come into some low level of trouble, uh, but it's not enough to take away the the profit incentive of selling tobacco to kids, right? And so as long as um, that remains and there's not compliance, rigorous enough compliance check inspections to stop kids from accessing tobacco, people kind of throw their hands up in the air and they're like, we need to protect our kids. What do we do? And 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 e-cigarette taxes, they think is a way to do that, not fully realizing some of the unintended consequences of it. So there are easier ways to get at this issue that we all can agree on, that we don't want kids using tobacco, right? But I think the way to do that is to focus in on the profit incentive shop owners have to sell uh, to kids. Um, and to make it so that that's not profitable, in which case we wouldn't need this e-cigarette tax that's likely to cause a lot of public health harm. Right. So let's just talk a bit about the tax here. Now, it's expected that that this tax is going to pass the House sometime later this week, maybe Saturday or early next week. And then um, it's apparently going to pass the Senate, that's the plan, by Christmas. So if that's the case, this tax as a part of this large, huge, you know, almost $2 trillion spending plan would then go into effect sometime around June. Now, the tax is intended to raise about $9 billion, but what's interesting is is that at one point, this tax was supposed to be applied to cigarettes as well. There was supposed to be some tax impact here, but now what we find is that cigarettes are exempt, so are all of the other nicotine products that have been approved by the FDA for smoking cessation, which pretty much just leaves e-cigarettes and, you know, some of the smaller products that are also in the safer nicotine category. How does this work when cigarettes aren't getting an increase in tax and this massive tax is being dumped onto vaping? Yeah, that's that. I mean, it's it's unfortunate that the uh, basically as as Congress has been debating this, the bill has seemed to seems to have gotten worse. Right. Um, You hope that, you know, debate leads to a better Better bill. In this case, it seems to be working in the opposite direction. Um, I, I, I am still hopeful that um, uh, a that you know the congressmen and women they will um, we're, we're trying to educate them on what we think the public health consequences of this tax will be. Um, I hope that they're receptive to you know the information that we're trying to share. And and I wouldn't 
call that a foregone conclusion that the House passes, although I do agree with you, I think it's likely. Um, I feel better, um, I feel there there are more senators that have acknowledged the, uh, you know, the benefits that e-cigarettes and smokeless tobacco products have as uh, harm reduction products and, and have stated publicly that they oppose the tax. Um, similarly, we're, we're trying to get information into their hands so that they, they know what um, uh, what our studies uh, suggest the effects of these taxes will be in terms of increasing combustible use. So I hope that that I hope that's something that they're willing to fight on because that, that is an, a very important issue to a lot of people. Um, so I don't know. Uh, it, so I'm hopeful that the, the bill doesn't pass. Um, uh, uh, the tax doesn't pass. Um, uh, I am in favor of uh, my, my preferred regulatory approach is I think we should just tax products proportionate to risk, which is a uh, uh, approach that's gotten a lot of support has been published. Uh, that perspective has been published twice in the New England Journal of Medicine um, uh, to tax proportionate to, to, to risk. Uh, recently, 15 former presidents for the Society for Research on Nicotine Tobacco, which is one of the uh, world, the world's leading uh, uh, professional organization for researcher, inter, uh, multidisciplinary researchers that study uh, uh, the effects of tobacco. They also endorsed the call to uh, have a, a, a small e-cigarette tax, um, uh, but but oppose kind of trying to make e-cigarette tax proportionate to the cigarette tax. Um, so I, I think that, you know, a small e-cigarette tax, uh, I am in favor of. Um, uh, but the idea of trying to set a e-cigarette tax at the same level as a more lethal product, um, or possibly even at a higher level, depending on how you look at it, um, that's that's uh, you know a public health disaster in the the, the the making, and so the focus the focus should be as uh, on on raising that combustible uh, a tobacco tax uh, more. Why do we need even that should be the first focus? And I've actually even heard that echoed by uh, Matt Myers, believe it or not, uh, who I disagree with often from the campaign for tobacco free kids. He's also said the same thing that he thinks the combustible tax should be the first thing that's focused on. So. You know, legislators, they have a chance to to heed the advice of people from a wide swath of different opinions on this, this issue. Uh, go for for the combustible, which is also where the revenue is, too, not on e-cigarettes and smokeless products. Right. Now, before we dive in more deeply here into some of the issues and to discuss this letter that you actually wrote to Congress, which we'll bring up in a minute, I'd like to actually have you uh, share with our viewers some of your background, because it's not often that we get economists on the show talking so knowledgeably about uh, e-cigarettes, harm reduction, of course, taxes, that's your ballywick. How is it that you got to this topic and share with us a little bit about the research? I know you've, you're quite well published. I guess, um, I mean, I think I would have to go back to talking about myself growing up um, to, to, to answer um, uh, that question. Um, uh, I guess my kind of main exposure to tobacco was I worked at a fast food restaurant like a lot of teenagers used to do. Um, back when. And uh, I remember all the high school students being in the break room, smoking their cigarettes and and uh, already being addicted. And and um, I wasn't a tobacco user, but uh, but I remember being very interested in how did this, you know, how did this happen? And, and I remember feeling a lot of compassion for people that um, uh, teenagers and some of the younger adults that I worked with that uh, that were addicted and um, uh, they didn't seem capable of, of quitting and seeing how much money they were were spending, uh, especially on their their tobacco products. Um, so I kind of carried that perspective with me. And when I was in graduate school, I had the chance to 
uh, get involved with some tobacco research. And so I think I jumped at that, uh, uh, recognizing that this is a, this is an issue that obviously affects a, a lot of uh, of people's lives uh, uh, quite substantially. Um, so I worked with uh, Frank Chalupka, who's uh, also one of the the, the world's leading um, economics experts on, on tobacco um, at University of Illinois Chicago, where I did my PhD studies. I then um, worked at the Centers for Disease Control for a year while finishing my dissertation. And um, at that point, that's when I really first started hearing about e-cigarettes. This was in uh, 20, um, 2011. Uh, and and this was just starting to become uh, a, a, a real conversation within the public health space. Um, so uh, just tried to slowly build a research agenda around that um, and uh, was very fortunate to receive uh, funding from uh, the National Institutes of Health to continue um, uh, uh, this work and, and providing an economics lens to these questions, um, uh, I think is, uh, is I think economics is just a, a great way to view the world and and uh, to provide um, advice on how to set optimal uh, policy, recognizing that any policy has both intended and unintended consequences. I think that's what the the strength that economics uh, really um, uh, uh, provides. Um, and uh, you know, nowhere is that more obvious than with with these cigarettes. Sometimes it's been noted that um, government tend to not actually take uh, consequences into factor when they're coming up with all of these taxes and plans. Well, that seems that seems apparent with the current e-cigarette tax debate, for sure. So um, last week, uh, early November, so just last week, in fact, you wrote a letter to Congress, and this is it here, um, a Dear Congress, Members of Congress letter, um, and fill our, fill our viewers in on what you're trying to communicate with this letter. Well, I, I think it's important that um, uh, research, you know, it, it be used in, in policymaking, right? Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the National Institutes of Health, they encourage, um, you know, their, their, research, their researchers that they fund to, to educate lawmakers. Um, and uh, so um, uh, somewhat, I, I am always a little bit nervous about sending these kinds of letters because I have heard that Sometimes congressmen and women don't appreciate these letters, um, and uh, they try to interfere with your research agenda as a, a result and your funding as a result. But nevertheless, I think it's an important duty as a, you know, as a beneficiary of this this funding. And if I have knowledge to share that's important, useful for a debate, um, I should do everything I can to get that knowledge into the hands of legislators. So that was really my purpose was uh, strictly from an educational. Um, a, a perspective, and and uh, I think I've come into come to this issue with an uh, open mind, um, and I've been quite surprised at how um, as strong the evidence of substitution is uh, 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 between e-cigarettes and, and cigarettes. Um, basically, this body of work is is formed by uh, there were by mid 2019 there were 10 states and two large counties that had adopted these these taxes with very sizable magnitudes of the taxes uh, California Washington DC Minnesota tax being very large taxes um, some states having very small taxes like North Carolina and Kansas other states the majority of them not having any tax at all right and so we do have some nice variation um, we have about a decade of, of data uh, to to uh, then study you know what effect did these state level taxes have? And, and that's very helpful then to informing what we could expect the uh, federal tax to, to have should that become come into 
come into law. You emphasize several times in this letter that this is science-based analysis. Why the importance of, of emphasizing that and why so many times is it needed to emphasize that with members of Congress? I think that there's there, there's a lot of passion, you know, on the, on this issue, and and um, and I'm co- trying to come at it from a different perspective. I'm a numbers guy, right? Um, uh, I um, uh, I try to leave, you know, leave any passion behind. I don't think there's room for that in in uh, in, in academic uh, uh, research. Um, uh, and so I was hoping that by just expressing my desire to educate. Uh, showing what the, the government itself has, has funded, putting that into the hands of legislators. I also happen to believe that, you know, the statistical models that economists use are very strong models. Um, uh, and and uh, so I really think that me and my, my colleagues, I think we do provide a really useful um, a framework for thinking about tobacco by not having it be a passionate thing, just having it be a numbers thing. Um, and I think that is somewhat um, a scarce in tobacco research, unfortunately, where there are a lot of researchers that are also very passionate in, in, in what they do. Um, uh, so I, I thought that might be a useful way to, to differentiate what information that they're getting from other sources. And hopefully it was an effective strategy. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, it's certainly, I, I think that it's fair to say that this could be uh, considered an explosive letter. I know that some of our colleagues at RegWatch, you know, in the media at Reason and so forth have, have used that terminology. Y- you communicate four key points um, here to Congress, and I've got them up on some slides. We can talk each one individually. I've got them in a different order than you put them. So um, here's the first one that we have. And the Biden vape tax, of course, public health impact. And you have 5.5 extra packs of cigarettes are sold for every one e-cigarette pod eliminated by an e-cigarette tax. What does that mean? As expected, uh, the, the, ta- the, 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 the tax is currently debated by Congress. That would indeed reduce e-cigarette sales quite substantially. Um, uh, but then the question is, what effect does it have in the cigarette marketplace, right? And, and that's where we find that the e-cigarette tax increases cigarette sales. And so if we took then the, the, the reduction e-cigarette sales and compare that to the increase in e-cigarette, uh, to cigarette packs sold, we, we said that we assume that a pod is equivalent to 0.7 fluid milliliters. Um, uh, uh, but, and so for each 0.7 fluid milliliter pod, the standard jewel pod, that is eliminated as a result of the tax, 5.5 packs of cigarettes are sold instead. So uh, that's a so if they're trying to get people to stop using e-cigarettes and stop smoking at the same time, that doesn't sound very effective. No, no, clearly not. Um, uh, you know the the numbers didn't look that bad when it was um, they were considering double uh, doubling the cigarette tax at the same time, right? Although it's still still bad, right? So the the it's even worse now. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, clearly, no, I mean, enacting, uh, e-cigarette only tax is going to cause more cigarette use, however you, at any level, right? Um, and so, uh, I think the main focus should be raising the combustible tax. Why don't we just double that standalone, double the cigarette tax, triple the cigarette tax, you know, uh, any of those options, then that would push the substitution into the vaping market, 
into the smokeless market where people are less likely to die. Um, so that's, um, uh, yeah, that's the, that's why, why it's, you know, kind of irrational to just raise it on the safer, safer product and push cause substitution into the more lethal marketplaces. All right, Mike, let's go to point two now from your letter. Again, uh, a potential impact from this new vaping tax, this new nicotine tax for every three pregnant women that do not use an e-cigarette due to an e-cigarette tax, one smoke cigarettes instead. Yeah. So again, this is a, a, another estimate of kind of the substitution, you know, relationship, right? Um, I mean, what is the trade-off, right? Um, uh, so this is kind of putting, um, uh, taking numbers, you know, in which we calculate both the effect of the e-cigarette tax on, um, on uh, prenatal vaping. Um, we have, uh, we use a survey data source for this, uh, the pregnancy risk assessment monitoring system uh, data. Um, uh, and um, that gives us kind of our first stage relationship, right? Um, and then, and then of course, we're interested in also in the effect of the e-cigarette tax then on prenatal smoking. Um, and we generate that from uh, a national birth record um, data. We have very good information uh, in the United States, you know, 40 million births a year. Um, I'm sorry, 4 million births a year. Um, uh, and each uh, birth, we have information on the women's smoking pre-pregnancy and each of the three trimesters. So we have really cool panel data, large number of observations. Um, uh, and, and there we, we see kind of the, um, the, the positive effect that these cigarette tax has on increasing prenatal smoking. We compare those two estimates, what's the, pre, the prenatal vaping reduction and the prenatal smoking increase. Um, that's how we generate the, um, the, the one pregnant woman smokes for every three that stops vaping. Let's uh, jump into the third point now that you presented to members of Congress. This is a big one. And again, this is back to the teen. So you mentioned this right at the start of the interview. Teen e-cigarette use would drop by 2.7%. So that sounds good. But two out of three teens who would not vape due to the tax would smoke cigarettes instead. And that equals a half a million extra teen smokers. That's incredible. The hypothesized direction is some teens, they're, they're smoking and they, they want to quit, right? I mean, I think teenagers, they benefit from harm reduction, just like adults benefit from harm reduction. Um, I think a lot of people disagree with that. Um, but, uh, but there are teens that, that smoke and they don't want to. And, and so, you know, they, they deserve, I think, uh, uh, access to products that can help them to quit. Um, uh, and the, um, the other flip side of that then is that a lot of these teens are addicted to nicotine, right? Um, and so they're, they're going to need to, uh, get, they're going to need to either, uh, lose, get over their addiction to nicotine, or they're going to need to find another product that, uh, satiates their, their demand for nicotine. Um, and so if we raise the, the tax on, on e-cigarettes and smokeless products, that's really only leaving, you know, combustibles, I guess, as, um, uh, as, uh, uh, a, um, as an available option that wasn't being the price of which wasn't being changed. Is this just teens that were currently smoking, uh, before they used e-cigarettes and they go back to smoking? Or are we talking about just the, the sheer fact that they're going to be so priced out of reach that, you know, teens that are just entering into experimentation instead of maybe going down the vaping route and thus never touching combustible, or, or are they going into cigarettes directly? 
Yeah, I think I think you're going to see a combination of both, unfortunately, right? Um, and and I think that latter is particularly sad, in which uh, um, a teenager that uh, uh, de- develops some um, some level of addiction, possibly for for nicotine, um, uh, that they they and they might not have used cigarettes otherwise if they just could continue to access their their e-cigarette product without those kind of price restrictions. I think you would see some of those individuals um, uh, migrate to smoking that would have otherwise not smoked um, uh, absent the tax. Is uh, vaping a gateway to combustibles, you know, to smoking? Or because if it's not, then boy, th- you're, you know, this finding is very troubling. Yeah, uh, it is It is not a, a, a gateway. Um, uh, there, uh, this kind of gets into the weeds on different kind of methodological um, uh, approaches that scientists um, uh, use, right? And I, I noticed that you just pulled up that uh, that 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 paper where we re-examined the relationship, yeah, between teenage cigarette and e-cigarette use. Um, and we sharply criticized in this paper a 2016 Surgeon General report. Uh, they surveyed these longitudinal cohort studies that basically um, uh, the, these studies then they. They take tobacco naive people um, and then they um, uh, they follow them over time. Uh, and then at some point, uh, some of these youth, these youth then, for example, that were tobacco naive, they might have used an e-cigarette. And so then it tries to see, well, what is your propensity then in the next period to use a cigarette um, compared to the, the, the teens in that period of time that did not use the e-cigarette? What was their propensity to use a cigarette, right? You might say, well, obviously the e-cigarette user, they're the, those kid, those types of kids that would have used an e-cigarette initially, those are the same types of kids that might use a cigarette. And in fact, maybe they were going to go for the cigarette, but the e-cigarette was just so, you know, it was safer. It, you know, why not test the waters kind of first with the safer product before going to the more risky product, which is the product you would have gone for anyways, right? Um, so, so needless to say, these studies they show. Yeah, evidence that the 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 kids that use e-cigarettes are more likely to use cigarettes in a subs in the subsequent period. Does that suggest it's a gateway? Of course not, because for a lot of those kids, they would have used cigarettes anyways uh, had the e-cigarette not been there. And so you really need to use kind of a natural. You can't rely on self-selection uh, for these kinds of studies because you're going to get all kinds of bias, um, and and it really can't. You know, anything you estimate is just going to basically be driven by the cell selection. Um, so what we as economists um, uh, uh, try to use are uh, natural experiment uh, uh, methods in which we take advantage of policy changes. Um, and actually, uh, three uh, economists um, that really pioneered some of the statistical methods that we use in natural experiment research, they just won the Nobel Prize in, in economics. So a lot of us reduced form microeconomists that run these types of models we are very happy to see um, that our um, we, we we didn't win the Nobel but we're happy to see one of our own uh, whose work we um, we um, uh, borrow from uh, in our own models um, that they were acknowledged in in such a with such a great way um, but the uh, the natural experiment methodology then kind of by relying on it, it gets closer to the randomized control trial right which very nice and and um, the uh, a lot of uh, there are a lot of randomized control trial studies in England, for example, um, and they find that the e-cigarettes are about twice as effective as as nicotine replacement therapy in helping people to to quit. And these randomized control trials basically people are recruited and then they're randomized. You get nicotine gum, do you get 
do you get an e-cigarette and then follow to see what effect it has on the smoking cessation. The natural experiments, we try to mimic the same thing, but we say, okay, some people get the tax, some people don't get the tax. Let's now see what effect does this have on their subsequent smoking. Um, we call that quasi-random variation, right? Um, and uh, you really need either randomization or quasi-randomization, you know, to to generate anything that that should be used by uh, in policy making. Um, and when we do that natural, when we use natural experiments, we find that in contrast to what the Surgeon General promoted, they relied on all these faulty longitudinal cohort studies. We find the natural experiment methodology, if we take data from that same period of time, uh, we just analyze it using available price and tax changes, which is what we had. Uh, Abby Friedman and I have shown using minimum legal purchase age laws, as well as the kind of the policy variation, same relationship that these laws uh, making e-cigarettes harder for kids to access increases their cigarette use. So that's the opposite direction of what the gateway relationship would predict, right? Uh, so we find evidence basically it's a displacement uh, a product. Um, uh, and, um, and so it really goes to show the dangers of using subpar kind of um, uh, methodologies and in, 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 in research um, and uh, how the Surgeon General especially should be more careful and what types of studies they promote, um, because it can, if, if they're not careful, it can cause them to make, uh, form the wrong conclusions. Now let's move to the final point in your letter to members of Congress. And that was, if this tax gets implemented, adult smokers would increase by 2.5 million nationally, while adult vapors would decrease by similar amount. Yeah, so uh, you know we we find high high rates of substitution within the um, within the adult uh, uh, population uh, within the young adult population as well. Um, that that was for that particular statistic was for um, people uh, under forty years of adults under forty. A little bit more nebulous for um, for older older adults. Um, but uh, but yeah, again, um, I mean, adults are benefiting from from e-cigarettes in terms of helping them to reduce uh, their cigarette use and and possibly even quit. Um, and so, if we push on the the e-cigarette prices by increasing those, that's going to push people out of e-cigarette use. Some people will, some adults will stop uh, vaping, obviously, um, but. Um, but this that those numbers suggest almost all of them then the go right into back to smoking. Um, so that's not a um, you know a positive public health outcome. No, I mean it seems to be opposite of of the total goal here, which is to reduce smoking prevalence. Right. Well, I, I think that should be the goal. I think some people would disagree and they think that um, some public health groups, it's their stated goal actually to reduce nicotine use, uh, which I think is a, is a dangerous um, uh, a public health goal um, uh, um, because, um, uh, you know, the, the focus should be on let's, let's end combustible tobacco. Uh, I think that's a feasible goal. Um, uh, but people, they're going to demand, people demand nicotine because they like nicotine, right? Uh, so I don't think we're ever going to rid the world of nicotine. So that goal is a unfeasible goal. Um, we should be focusing on what's feasible and that's, I think, to, to, to end combustible use, um, and to substantially reduce tobacco related disease and death. I think we can get that close to zero. Um, if we just keep focusing on, on making, um, safer, uh, tobacco products, um, and, and letting, you know, not regulating 
the hell out of them, right? Um, uh, I think that's the way to to end the um, the tobacco uh, epidemic that pandemic that that you know is hundred years in the making. Now, I mean, it seems to me that driving two point five million U.S. adults under forty back to smoking would be is a disaster. Yeah, I. I, I, I think so. Uh, uh, I mean, it's going to raise the smoking rate. I mean, there these people are, you know, going to be more likely to suffer all the adverse consequences of smoking that are well documented. Um, uh, I, I think approximately 10 year expected less life expectancy. Um, I mean, one in five uh, adults, uh, they, uh, they die from tobacco uh, even today. Um, uh, and and so you're, we're just perpetuating and exacerbating those those well-documented uh, uh, problems of um, uh, of combustible tobacco use. I just struggle with trying to understand how it is that more people uh, that you're trying to influence, I guess, or at least communicate to, aren't getting this picture. Well, I, I think it I think it goes back to um, uh, people are really concerned about kids, right? Um, and um, and I mean, it's not just tobacco where perhaps people are irrationally kind of concerned about, you know, child safety. I mean, um, uh, you know, there's been a lot of changes, I think, just in broader society, just in terms of not wanting your not letting your kids play outside anymore, um, you know. Being, being, you know, car seats need to be replaced every two years. I mean, you can find all kinds of examples of where people are are very concerned about child health, right? Um, and uh, and so I think that that uh, some uh, groups they they kind of feed on a, a, a parents' concern about their kids um, uh, to um, uh, to uh, you know just focus on that and let's you know let's you know, ignore, um, I guess, adults, right? Um, but I mean, even if you do that, though, still, I mean, the e-cigarette taxes are still hurting kids, I think, overall, by, you know, raising their combustible use. There could be a discrepancy as well between who has the time to actually pay attention to this issue, right? Um, uh, I mean, I think smoking is primarily a, you know, low socioeconomic status uh, activity, right? Uh, these people have very little political agency. Uh, they don't really, you know, have time to even if they're benefiting from e-cigarettes, um, they don't have time to tell their legislators about that, right? Um, uh, whereas, um, you know, wealthier people, um, they might see uh, no benefit uh, of of e-cigarettes and only as a threat to their children um, uh, because e-cigarettes are being used more in schools and 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 and, and that kind of thing. Um, and, and these are the people that have the time to get involved with different advocacy organizations to write to their members of Congress. Um, uh, so I think that there is an interesting um, imbalance in who benefits and who has the time to advocate and lobby. And um, and that, that could be causing some of this, some of what you're observing. Flavor bans and ma- major taxes, like those are the two killers. And that's what, re- of industry killers. And that's really what we're seeing in Canada, we're seeing that. In the U.S., of course, you've got flavor bans, you know, perpetuating around the country in certain areas, and of course, nationally, they want to have it. So, I mean, I don't even know what the right question is. Is like, how much more? I think that maybe with your research, it is it's so clear that it's driving people back to smoking. I just don't know how that's acceptable. I I don't think it's acceptable. Um, uh. 
I, you know, I think the, the, where the politicians are coming from, again, is who they're hearing from. And, and they're not hearing from the people that benefit from, from smoking. They're only hearing from the um, parents of, of kids that, that maybe, um, you know, that, that family has no history of tobacco use, but now suddenly this kid is caught with the jewel. Uh, those are the types of, 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 uh, of parents that Congress is, is hearing from. And so it's going to, you know, I, I don't know how to change the calculus. I think that there are some advocacy organizations that are trying to raise more awareness uh, uh, on the tobacco harm reduction side. So that's one way to 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 combat this issue. Um, uh, if, if people benefit from e-cigarettes, uh, you know, tell your legislators, right? Um, because you can be sure that the legislators are probably hearing from, for, for every one of you, there's probably 10 parents that, you know, the the legislators are already hearing from, right? So we do need to get people more willing to engage in the political process if they're benefiting from these these products, right? Um, so take the time and and um, and 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 do that. Um, I think that's uh, you know I, I think then the the politicians they will be more they will be receptive, and I think we have seen some evidence of that in with the uh, the tax bill. Um, I've seen a lot of you know activity on Twitter um, and. Uh, where people are mobilizing and trying to to let the legislators know how how these products benefit them, and and I think some legislators are responding to that um, uh, positively. Um, uh, um, and, and there are some legislators that really just care about the science too. I have to say, um, I, I especially at the state level, I think my uh, my letter has uh, has influenced some state. Um, uh, you know, all all it takes is one person on a committee. Um, to change their mind on, on the issue. And I have seen that happen uh, based on just presenting science to them. So so there are, you know, people that 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 do try to, to govern in a very science-based fashion. So there may be some hope then that this tax won't ever see the light of day. I, I think so. I think so. Um, just, you know, just let people know. I mean, just make sure, don't, don't, don't be silent on this issue. I mean, I think it's an important one. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, I think policymakers are going to make better decisions if they're hearing from a full cross-section of American society and not just the, you know, the, the, the wealthy and the affluent that have the time to, to, to do this historically.